sin. What is it? Who commits it? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to touch on that. The Bible puts it this way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone that gets by that. We have all failed. Big things, small things, huge things. We've all failed. What we call failure, the Bible calls sin. Sin, that word literally means to miss the mark. And it doesn't speak so much to the motive as much as to the issue of sinfulness. Not only that, but the reality of sinfulness is that if you've sinned once, that makes you imperfect forever. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Sin sure has taken its toll. Is there any remedy? Yes. And we'll hear about it today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've just begun a study in the New Testament book of Hebrews, and we've been focusing of late on how Jesus is better than the angels. We'll hear today how the angels are used by God in many ways, but Jesus alone saves us from our sin. Now here's Pastor Ed. Open your Bibles, would you, to Hebrews chapter 1. If you want to get ahead, we're going to end up in Romans chapter 12 for a part of our study. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we are learning how Jesus is superior to the angels. It's a significant truth because angels are magnificent, dynamic creatures that many have mistaken over the years as worthy of worship, uh, putting them on the plane of God, but they're not. They are subservient to God. They are less than Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us in our Bible study through the book of Hebrews, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've repeated this over and over again, and we'll continue to repeat it so that you understand the essence of this book. So many stay away from Hebrews because of the challenging passages within, but we're going to unlock those challenging passages and grasp the bigger picture of what God wants to teach us through Hebrews. Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians. Most of the early church started out with Jewish believers. Jesus Christ himself, a Jewish Messiah, fulfilling the system of Judaism, the old covenant of God, what we refer to as the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains the old covenant of God, what God required with the nation of Israel and anyone that wanted to convert. He required that for relationship. Unfortunately, it turned into religious rituals. Jesus would come on the scene in the perfect timing. And what did he say over and over again? You have heard it said, but I say to you. And he's the very essence of the promise of God of a new covenant. A covenant not of works, but of grace. Even though, even in the old covenant, God was extending grace to a people that didn't deserve it. But this new covenant would be wholly the work of God. That by faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, Messiah your sins would be forgiven. And the heart that you have of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh. And you would have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, this group that embraced Jesus have been tempted to go backwards toward religion. Why angels? Why the emphasis on angels in chapter one? Well, remember in the giving of the law from God to Moses, angels were used. 
Angels were used as a medium of delivery. And so Moses is respected. The law is respected. And angels too were respected, even to the point of being seen more highly than Jesus himself. So the author of Hebrews says, no, no, no. Let's deal with that right away. And we've been studying this topic of angels for the last few weeks, and it's been fascinating to me. We catch up in verse 7 today from our study last time. But by way of review, we went through three things that we learned in our study part one, Jesus is superior to angels. So for review, number one, remember we learned that Jesus is greater than the angels because he is deity. In verse 5, it says, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And the answer is, no angels were ever told that because they're not. Jesus is the unique son of God. He is God himself, deity. Number two, we learn that Jesus has a unique father-son relationship. Again, in verse 5, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. To which of the angels did God ever say that to? None. And then thirdly, we learn, and this is pretty matter of fact in verse 6, Jesus is superior to the angels because the angels worship Jesus. They're commanded to worship Jesus as God. We come to number 4 today in verse 7. And of the angels, he, speaking of God, says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Here's number four. Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is the maker and angels are made. Mark that word, makes. Angels are made. They're created beings. They're created and controlled by God directly. They're created spirits to serve God in the operation of the universe. Just like wind, just like fire, they are used to serve God and men. But this is not true of Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Angels are created. Jesus is the creator. Now, I want to pause again just to remind you that in our time here in the first chapter of Hebrews, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of teaching that is going to be an aha moment. You go, oh, I didn't know that. Most of it's going to be, of course, Ed, I get it. Of course, angels are made. God made them. Jesus is God. But don't immediately let your guard down as God is reminding you of these important truths. Because there will be people in your life that you're going to need to learn to open the Bible to and say, this is what the Bible says. And so all of Bible study, even though you may not be going, oh, I, I didn't know that, or oh, I didn't know that, the Bible says that we need to be reminded over and over and over again. So a lot of this Bible study just might be a reminder to you, but don't despise the reminders because if you train yourself to despise the reminders, you may miss something super significant in your life. So receive it, and it makes sense. I mean, this one, it makes sense. Jesus is the maker, angels are made. Number five, number five. Jesus is the sovereign master who sits on a throne. Why is he superior to angels? Because he's the sovereign master, sovereign majesty. Notice verse eight. To the Son, not to angels, but to the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, this is an incredible verse. Don't miss it. A direct quote from Psalm 45, where the Son, God the Son, is dressed by God the Father, and the Father addresses the Son as God. Please, 
Don't allow people to come to you and say that Jesus isn't God. You take your Bible out, flip out your phone, go to chapter 1 of Hebrews, and it says here that the Son is referred to as God. Right here, this one verse should settle it for everyone, let alone the many others. Now, I do appreciate the, the majestic doctrine of the Trinity. You know, we have our knowledge of God because he revealed himself to us. We would not know God unless he chose to reveal himself to us. How did he reveal himself to us? As Trinity. And what is the doctrine of the Trinity? But that is the doctrine that describes the Godhead, that God is one who has revealed himself as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all sharing the same nature, the same character, the same being, yet distinct. Now, I want to teach you a theological word that will help you understand this. We're going to say it together, and you might want to write it down. Here's the word. Ontologically. Ontologically. O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y. Ontologically. This is a fancy theological word that you probably will never use in your life except as it relates to Bible study, but it simply means this, same nature. It speaks of having the same nature, the same value. Let me give you an illustration that you probably can understand. In this room, everyone listening to me on the radio, watching me online, on television, all of us are divided into two categories, men and women. Two categories, women and men. And together, all of us are ontologically equal. There isn't anyone in here that is better than anyone else. As a man, I'm not better than any of you ladies or any of you men, and vice versa. You are not better than me. You're not more valuable than me. You're not more important than me. And neither am I more valuable or important to you. Why? Because we are all ontologically equal. We're human beings created in the image of God. We are equal in our nature, but very different. Have you noticed that? Men and women, very different. And we can go through a list of differences, but there are many differences. For example, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate a difference just using me. I, as a man, cannot have a baby. It's impossible. I cannot deliver a baby. I cannot have a baby in my womb. I don't have a womb for nine months. <laughs> and I cannot deliver a baby. And can't you say amen to that? Praise God, men cannot have babies. Because after the first baby that was born, the guy's going, never again. This hurts too much. And no guy anywhere would ever have a baby. You ladies that have delivered babies, thank you very much. We applaud you, we love you, and we appreciate you. My wife, delivering three children, I love her more today than I have in any other time in my life. So listen, listen. Because you ladies have the ability to have a child, that's a difference between us. It doesn't make you any better than us. You're unique. You were created different than us. But it doesn't make you any better than men, or men any better than women, it is simply recognizing a distinction and a difference 
to a group of people that are ontologically equal. All of us are equal. Well, within the Godhead, the Trinity, by the way, we went through a four-part Bible study together as a church on the topic of the Trinity. I encourage you to pick it up. It's on our app. We did it in four studies, and we did it the way I believe God would help us to understand it the most. Study number one, we looked at what the Bible had to say about God the Father, how he's revealed. Study number two, we looked at God the Son and how he's revealed. Study number three, we looked at God the Holy Spirit and how he's revealed. And then the final study, we tried to wrap it up all together to give a basic understanding of this doctrine. And God has, even though he's revealed himself, he has left some things, he has left some things that that we don't fully understand. There are parts of God and his character and nature that we don't fully understand, the Trinity being one of them. But get this, if you were to fully understand God, then you would be God. And you'll never be God. And there will be mystery surrounding God until we see him face to face. There'll be things that we read that we like, I I get it, I know what the Bible says, I believe it by faith, and yet I know that there's a fullness of revelation that I'm going to get when I'm in his presence. And the Trinity is one of those doctrines. But we have to train ourselves to allow the Bible to speak for itself even if we don't fully understand it, even if we don't fully grasp it, and accept that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts all of the time. We're not going to figure everything out. We're not going to have every answer. We're not going to have some theological system that man created that seems to have an answer for everything. That's not possible. God reserves some things for himself, and he may or may not choose to reveal them to you or me before this side of eternity. So when it says in verse 8 that God the Father speaks to the Son of his throne, declaring him to be God, is an incredible truth. The Son has a throne that's eternal, forever and ever. Thrones speak of power and authority. The Son has an eternal kingdom that is ruled with the scepter of his own perfect righteousness. The author's point is clear. That Jesus, the Son of God, is not a created servant like the angels, but he himself is the sovereign majesty of the universe who holds all things together by his power. He is God himself who rules and reigns over the universe. Jesus is the one who sits in dignity and dominion over all at the right hand of the Father. Jot it down in John chapter 3, verse 31. Jesus says that he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is above all. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his, speaking of Jesus, his mighty power, the work of his, which he worked in Christ, the Father's work in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice Jesus is seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. That phrase, principality and power, is a reference to the angelic realm, good and bad. The good angels we call, say it out loud, good angels we call, the bad angels we call, demons, and the head of the bad angels we call. And there's 40 different answers you can have for that. I'd give you A plus on any of them. 
You could call him Lucifer. You can call him the devil. You can call him Satan. You can call him the accuser of the brethren. You could call him the father of lies. Forty different names this guy has, but they're all evil and wicked and all the principality and powers. It refers to all the spiritual realm of angels, both fallen and good. Angels, as, as amazing as they are, are just created beings. They're not God. They function to rush in to do Jesus' bidding because he is God. By the way, as we go through these studies, we're learning a little bit more about angels. Let me give you four more categories of angels that I think would be a good time. Just different categories to try to put them all together. First of all, in the Bible, we read of messenger angels, messenger angels, like those that came to Abraham, to Jacob, to Daniel, Elizabeth, Mary, that came with a message. Secondly, there are ministering angels. Remember the word minister just means servant. I know in the church, ministers become a title referring to the pastor, but the word in the original language never was intended that way. We are all ministers of the gospel because we're all servants. So there's ministering angels. There are angels that serve. They have a particular service purpose. Remember there are those that came to serve Paul and Peter. They came to care for little children. There are those that serve Jesus in the wilderness, ministering angels. Thirdly, there are martial angels. Marshall, they do battle against God's enemies. We see some of them described in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. Fourthly, there are managing angels. These are angels that rule the elements, that have a function and connection with God's creation, and even angels that might be what's considered in God's court. They take down men like they did with Herod. Remember when he blasphemed? So angels are amazing, but the bottom line is this. Angels are only angels, and God is God. Number six, number six. Why is Jesus greater than the angels? The author says Jesus possesses a spotless integrity. Spotless integrity. Notice verse nine. In this kingdom that he oversees, it's a kingdom of what? Righteousness. Not just rightness. You and I can be involved in rightness. We can do what's right. We can think what's right. Our life can be right. We can do right things. But Jesus is right. That's his very being. He is righteous in all his ways, his actions, his thoughts, everything. He is righteous, sinless. You and I, we can do right, but we also can do wrong. Therefore, we don't possess righteousness in and of ourselves. So this is a problem because the requirement to spend eternity with God who created you the requirement is righteousness. You could say that's the ticket to heaven, a perfect righteous life. And so all of us at this point are ticketless when it comes to righteousness because we have failed. The Bible puts it this way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone that gets by that. We have all failed, big things, small things, huge things. We've all failed. What we call failure, the Bible calls sin. Sin, that word literally means to miss the mark. And it doesn't speak so much to the motive as much as to the issue of sinfulness. Not only that, but, but the reality of sinfulness is that if you've sinned once, that makes you imperfect forever. And on top of that, the Bible declares that because of our ancestor dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because of Adam's sin, when Adam and Eve had children, and children kept having children, and children kept, they can only have sinful children because they were sinful themselves. 
you produce yourself. And so this issue of sin has been passed down to every generation. We're not only sinful by nature, we're also sinful by action. That puts us in a deep problem because if the entrance into relationship with God is righteousness, what's a person to do? What's a man to do? What's a woman to do? Well, the Bible says, and Jesus himself says, that he's the only way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that the righteousness of Jesus can become ours by faith. So that our imperfectness is exchanged for his perfection. Our wrongness, if you will, is replaced by his righteousness. Our sinfulness is replaced by his sinlessness. That's the key, the ticket is not just righteousness. If you want to get down to it, the ticket to heaven is Jesus and faith in him, which requires what? It requires for you and me to humbly tell the truth about our lives. It requires us to acknowledge and admit that we're wrong and God's right, which is why many people don't do it. You're just simply unwilling to acknowledge that you're wrong and God's right. You're unwilling to acknowledge that, that you have failed or sinned and are in need of a savior. And yet every day, don't you live with the consequences of sin? Don't you live with the guilt and the shame and the fear and the anxiety? Don't you run away from God in so many different directions because of the weight of the issues in your life? You do. It doesn't take long for you to see that. And all the while, God is inviting you to come, inviting you in, saying, accept my son. He died for you, the perfect for the imperfect. He not only died, but the Bible declares that he rose again the third day. And it's the power of the resurrection that's available to you by faith, the forgiveness of sin. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in Hebrews as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this marvelous book. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Aurora. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Pastor Ed, you mentioned the mystery of the Trinity today, but there's another mystery that many wonder about. And that is, why would God do such an astounding thing? Why would he sacrifice so greatly to save us sinners? Would you address that as we close? Wow, Larry, that's a huge question. Uh, And I, I could go a lot of different ways with an answer. But the passage of Scripture that popped into my mind is what Paul wrote to the Romans in in that, and I'll paraphrase it, he said that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the, The demonstration of God's love is on the cross. And it is an astounding thing to think of the great sacrifice of the eternal Son of God coming to earth and taking on a human body, dying a sinless death on behalf of you and me. It's unbelievable. I just got back uh, not too long ago from Southern California. I'm teaching at Calvary Chapel Downey, teaching at Calvary Chapel in Santa Fe Springs, some good friends of mine. Of course, Downey's my home church, Larry, and and I got to share there. Uh, We're taking the book, Hope for the Troubled Heart, to other churches, speaking a message of hope. And anytime I go home, I'm always reminded of where I was saved from. Uh, You know, I got a lot of bad memories associated with Southern California, a lot of great memories, but a lot of bad memories. And 
And I was just thinking about this, you know, going home, uh, you know, going where I grew up and thinking of all the stupid, sinful things I was involved in. And to think that God loved me so much, I'm still astounded. Uh, it, I'm still discovering day by day the great love of God for me. Uh, and I encourage you guys to, like, day by day, you don't have to have some radical, horrible testimony like me. And I hope you don't, um, because it comes with a lot of regret and shame and guilt and a lot of spiritual warfare. But like, if you happen to have whatever your testimony is, it, it is an astounding thing to know that God would send his own son to die for us. Man, it is an amazing thing, and I'm grateful for it. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you make a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE. And don't forget to request The Calvary Road. That's 877-30-GRACE. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.